John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 26, Entry 1339.JE3023, Certificate Number 9101, The Tri-State Tornado. It's a very old show. Yeah, but it's really in the news. That's what uh, several of our listeners, including Phineas, pointed out. That uh, It's been surpassed. Well, earlier in December, there was what was a, reported as a quad state tornado. Uh, Missouri, Arkansas. Yeah, it starts kind of here in northeast Arkansas. It goes through that little waddle of the, the little scrotum of Missouri that hangs down there. Right. And then the upper northwest corner of Tennessee up into for a considerable stretch of Kentucky. Yeah. And if you saw the pictures from it, it was just a brutal tornado system well and i drove through almost exactly that route at, I, at the same time as the tornado was no coming. a couple of months before you're but a on, storm chaser on our i wish I, I love tornadoes and i wish that i but it was at night so nobody got to see it and of course it killed a lot of people so it's not a thing to be thrilled about but the main issue you have is that it was at night <laughs> yeah i wish you know it was I mean, a big it's tornado it's a bummer about those towns that aren't I there anymore i would have loved to have seen pictures of it but i drove uh, along that very diagonal on our drive across the United States, although headed the opposite direction from the tornado. Uh, we were a tornado of a different kind. You were a the tornado ro- of rock. The Roderick tornado. The, uh, I guess it's now been, the lo- looking at the meteorological data in hindsight, because as we record this, it's now been a couple of weeks since this other tornado outbreak. It has now been decided that the tri-state, tornado, the tri-state tornado will keep its record as the longest single path. Because it was multiple tornadoes? This tornado appears to have been two tornadoes oh, uh, do it, doing that stretch. It was not a single tornado like the one in uh, 19... When was the tri-state tornado? The 19, tri-state tornado was in the 19... Like 20s, 30s, or is it even right? earlier than that? In 1925. Um, but, you know, the record of the tri-state tornado will also... A tri-state tornado has... Something like seven or eight hundred fatalities at least. A the, more destructive tornado in addition to being longer. Yeah, I don't know about the total cost. I mean, the death toll from the uh, the 2021 follow-up, the it was sequel, over 100. if you will. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot of people, but I guess just better technology and storm cellars and alert systems and 
digital warnings um, mean tornadoes are not as deadly as they were in the 20s. But also it happened, yeah, in the middle of the night. So going good or bad? Well, I'm not sure, right? I mean, if, uh, people aren't concentrated in the center of town. Um, but then in the center of town, they would have all, I don't know, gone into the bomb shelter, right? So I don't know. Have you seen that video of... We don't get tornadoes here. We don't. Uh, have you seen that video of the, I think it's Mayfield, Kentucky, some Kentucky town where it starts out on a wall that has a kind of an old timey welcome to Mayfield mural or whatever. And then the drone pulls back and that is literally the only wall standing along the main street. Like, wow. Like it's just, it just looks like, um, it looks like Dresden or Tokyo or something after a firebombing. The town's just gone. It, it did, really is an eye opening look at what the power of that must be at ground level. I chased a tornado once in Ohio, but I was an hour behind it. And never saw the tornado itself, but did see the the swath of destruction, and it was astonishing, the the way it just carved out like a like a needle on a record, just carved out a groove across what was a pretty hilly landscape there. So it was it made me want to see an actual tornado all the more. I wouldn't recommend it. Tornado chasing. Well, you don't want to be at ground. I mean, you were an hour behind that one. Maybe you'd just be an hour ahead of the next one. It's a little like running with the bulls at Pamplona. No, I'd like to be like one and a half minutes behind it. One and a half minutes behind the swirling two-by-fours. But you don't know which way they're going to go. I know. That's the thrill. I'm a thrill seeker, Ken. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a adrenaline junkie. I, def- I, I want I, the action. I definitely chase small thrills. Like yeah. I'll... Yeah, like I'll, channel surfing. Like if I'm walking, yeah, yeah. Will I make? I really, I really will do. Will I make it back in? If I run to the bathroom, will I make it back in time before the, the commercial, commercial ends? Yeah. Or, uh, or you know, if I'm walking somewhere with my kids, I'll get up on the, I'll get up on the rockery and I'll walk above the sidewalk. Whoa, it's, it's a little, a little nuts. Yeah, but no, I would never chase a tornado. If you saw a tornado go by, or if you knew there was a tornado five minutes away, I would salute. I respect its power. You'd hunker down. Absolutely. You wouldn't get out. You wouldn't like go sit in the bathtub in the middle of the lawn and hope to get swept away. That's when another bathtub hits your bathtub. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know. People just get decapitated in movies trying stuff like that. Yeah. I don't even have much of a basement. Luckily, I I feel like a a tornado hitting Seattle seems pretty unlikely. Yeah, it's true. But when the big storms hit here, you don't go, uh, I guess you don't. (laughs) Where would you go? I liked watching, when I lived like in the Mountain West or when I've been in the Midwest, I like watching a lightning storm, but we don't get those here. No. I, yeah. I guess I drove in the snow. I mean, I, I think being, being in your home in Seattle in a big storm feels like threat enough. Because you're probably going to lose power. Because <laughs> like lose power and Douglas fir branches are yeah, dropping exactly. on transformers. 400 foot fir. Yeah, as long as a tree doesn't come through the roof, that's a win. Entry 173.IS2502. Certificate number 34924. The Cahokia Mounds. We have a couple of these that are actually addenda to the last time these came up on the addenda. Is that allowed? Yeah, it is. But let me just say the Cahokia Mounds were not far from the path of this tornado. Did they escape destruction, I hope? You don't want to... You don't want to... They're mounds. What if they waken ghosts? Right. That's what you don't want. C'est possible. You don't want giant transparent skeletons of the of the Mississippian people rising from the barrows. Why would they be giant? They're probably giant. Wouldn't they just be it, the regular size? Look at how big the mounds were. I oh. assume that was one guy buried there. Oh, right. Okay. Sure. Uh, we mentioned uh, 
we mentioned the Illinois town of Wakanda, mm-hmm. which led to two interesting follow-ups. Kathy is an omnibus listener who has actually written a series of uh, of travel guides to the Midwest. It most, looks like mostly the Missouri area. Um, and she recommends, because we mentioned Wakanda, which is in northern Illinois, she just wanted to put in a recommendation for Makanda in southern Illinois, spelled like Wakanda with the upside down, with the W upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little hippie town. Um, Makanda. Makanda. She sent pictures of uh, one of her kids doing a Wakanda Forever salute in Makanda. But they'd have to do it upside down for it to be the Makanda forever. She recommends uh, Giant City State Park, which is as beautiful, uh, beautiful rolling hills and forests that you would maybe not expect in Southern Illinois. Is and it also named sarcastically? Giant, is it the Giant City State Park or the Giant City State Park? Right. Is it a giant city-state park like Singapore? Well, maybe this is confirming that they believe that there are giants, that the Mississippians were giants. That's right. Yeah. And, and they had a giant city. There. Therefore, nearby Makanda is giant city. She also recommends the Dungeons & Dragons-themed playground uh, outside Carbondale or maybe just outside Makanda. Which, and this ties into Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, a local kid died not of steam tunnels or Satanism, but just in a sad car crash. Uh, nearby his home and his dad, who um, as to commemorate his his late son, bought three and a half acres across the street from their house because Jeremy loved Dungeons and Dragons. He hired craftsmen to build a Dungeons and Dragons, a Tolkien themed playground. That seems fun in Woodstone Tile. This makes me. I wish I'd gone story. there when I was in. No, but what a lovely memorial. Yeah, uh, this is great. And then the other note we got was from Dave, who lives here in the Northwest, and points out that. Wakanda, the name of the Oregon town, spelled D-W-A-U-C-O-N-D-A. I didn't even put this together, but did you know there is a Wakanda, Washington, spelled the same way? Wakanda. Yeah, Wa, W-A-U-C-O-N-D-A. It's, I mean, it's a ghost town. It's a former gold mining town. Three brothers came out from Wakanda, Illinois. Uh, and in fact, if you're on uh, Highway 20, the North Cascades pass that or the the pass there is actually still called wakanda pass no kidding and is there any remnant of the town i don't believe Uh, you know i've done a tour of washington ghost towns and most of them are just places where there was once a town wikipedia says it has dwindled almost to nothing it is now under single ownership so it's like one of those towns that sandra bullock or, or bruce willis buys right except this case it was me I bought the old Boomtown, <laughs> and now I own the gas station. No, it's a couple from Bothell. And you changed the name to Wakenda. <laughs> exactly. Wakenda forever. Entry 1098.LK0506. Certificate number 50920. Salmon Chaos. On the last addenda show, I thought we would, I mentioned that I thought we would hear more from people who had hassles changing their names. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I said that, you know, legally, regu- regulatorily, there's not a lot of barriers on name changes. Um, Amanda wrote in uh, to, she sent an email that she had drafted after hearing the episode and then... Amanda, formerly known as Zoltan. <laughs> uh I, she sent a draft of an email? She sent an email that she had drafted when she heard the episode, and then she heard the addendum and thought, oh, they will want to hear my boring first-hand story about the, um, the the trials and tribulations of trying to get your name changed in modern America. This, this, Absolutely, we do. This happened only 10 years ago. She 
got married, decided to take her husband's name. And the requirement is that you have to go, and I think this is still true, you have to go to a social security office in person uh-huh. with an original birth and marriage certificate. So you have to go stand in line in person and show them a piece of paper in which they start up their own paper trail. And then two or three weeks later, you'll get a social security card in the mail. Then you can go to the DMV. Then you can apply for a new passport, which means new picture, new fee to correct the passport. Only, you know, and only after doing the DMV part, do you have new government ID to then go tell all your credit card companies and all your banks and credit unions. Um, And they make you do it in person because this would be a real prank to pull on somebody. To change their name <laughs> to to Zoltan. <laughs> your the, new the name magician. is Zoltan, and I changed all your documents. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I realized a few years ago it's very easy to hold somebody's mail, but and the post office fixed that. You now need to log in to hold mail to an address, which was not true just five or ten years ago. But yeah, this would be even better, I guess, to change someone's name to. I mean, I changed your name to. Uh, Let's go, Brandon. And you didn't even notice. Yeah, and you subscribed me to a bunch of tool catalogs that are jamming up my mailbox. We definitely had that prank. Somebody subscribed me to a bunch of magazines, and we don't know why. It's not the greatest prank because we never got billed for them. It's, right. It's like doing ding-dong ditch but leaving after, leaving before the food comes. Yeah, it does It does seem weird when, I, when somebody, like, pranks me. And I, it has to be a prank, right? Because every once in a while, magazine, I, I do sucker. get a bunch of free magazines, and it's like... I don't I don't know where this came from, but I love model trains. Anyway, even though in theory there's no legal barrier to changing your name to whatever you want, what Amanda is telling us is that the hoops are the it's a pain in the, the neck. The red tape is a pain in the neck. I They're, mean, I just lost my wallet a couple of months ago, and it was such a pain in the neck to get all new credit cards I didn't even change my name. I still am having flashbacks from losing it at an airport a couple of years ago. The process is so was annoying. I she with says you at the airport when that happened? I don't think so. No, okay. The process is so annoying. There are companies you can pay to do it for you. Oh. Um, and, of course, the Social Security offices generally are open 9 to 4 on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and 9 to 12 on Wednesday, which means if you are a productive member of society, your boss does not want you. No chance. Going, driving to a Social Security office. And, in fact, during the pandemic, most of them have been closed. So many people who have wanted to change their name during the pandemic due to marriage or transition or any other reason have not been able to do so because you'd have to go to a social security office in person and they have not been open. But if you can pay somebody to do it, you could pay somebody to do it to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) I assume, I mean, you'd have to fill out all the forms. I wonder if the person, the service will do everything except go stand in line for you. Or maybe they can stand in line with your forms. Yeah, I don't know. But you're still going to have to supply a new passport photo and blah, blah, blah. It seems like a hassle. I still have... I'm still having flashbacks from trying to get my kid a last minute passport this oh, yeah. summer when the it turned out that. the State Department backlog suddenly they were like, just kidding, now we're six months out. You are hosed. So we regret any implication that it is a walk in the park to change your name. And in fact, maybe, I never believed it. I never believed it for a second that it was. You were such a good ally. Yeah. Well, I just know of our name change your listeners. I just know it's not easy to do anything. Entry 428.1C1533, certificate number 47957, Eternal September. This was about the influx of new people onto Usenet when Noobs. suddenly the internet became for everyone and became terrible. Noobs. And we got a note from 
I, I think I mentioned on the show that I had been on Usenet in the early 90s. Did we get a note from somebody that was like, I remember you, Ken, you were such a turd. Registering all my <laughs> new opinions about Twin Peaks and uh, 10,000 Maniacs. Yeah. Uh, David dug, or da- yeah, David dug into, Google has at least partially archived some of Usenet and was able to find some 1990s eras posts from a Kenneth Jennings. Someone known as Ken Jennings. The problem is, all of this postdates my University of Washington internet use netting, which means there there's a paper trail of me five years earlier having really definitive opinions about uh, about the Smiths that Dave Doug couldn't find that Dave did not find, and in fact, most of the ones he find appear to be my dad. <laughs> yeah, that's what you that's what you want to say. As I look through these, a lot of these are um, <laughs> drummer and bassist jokes. They're they're like uh, those. Musician jokes. That Why get is your dad along. telling drummer and bassist jokes? He was in a band. He played keyboard for a, a one of Everett's finer acid rock bands in the late sixties. You know, the one person that has no room to make bass player jokes is a keyboard player. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, this has got to be him. Midis and the law. So anything about music? Uh, uh, yeah, midi sequencing. Synths. Anything about. Music sequencing and the law, that's going to be my dad. The novels of Robert Heinlein, this is almost certainly my dad. Oh, this this one's got to be me, because this is about um, Sandman comics. That's got to be me. Sure, go on. But really, almost all of these, I think I'm off the hook. Um, so good try, David. Way to well, unearth. Well, no, wait a minute. Wait You've a- got to read, read one aloud. My dad's um, Robert Heinlein comics? No, you're one about the Sandman. You have strong strong opinions about Sandman? Let's see. Oh, here's me trying to find uh, the rest of a comic book that was never published. Mm. It's me trying to find a um, a robot noir comic called The Blue Lily. And then, sadly, everybody tells me it was never completed. There is no third issue. But so is who there, knows what happened? Is there anything in your syntax, anything that's, like, identifiable young Ken? Let me see. Let me hear, like, me. are you like, what's up? Anything like um, comically nineties about I it? I do use net dot favorite. Like I use dot as an internet space bar substitute, which doesn't make any sense even in the nineties. I, I think see. net dot favorite. I, that doesn't. That's not a thing. Um, so nice try, David. But if I whatever my terrible uh, opinions about the Terminator movies are, you did not <laughs> unearth them. Nice try. <laughs> Entry 681.2S1918, certificate number 19361, the Kalakala. Hope you're interested in the Washington State Ferries, listeners, because John and I sure are. We were speculating on the show about what the busiest ferry in the system is. It's got to be Kingston Edmonds. So until last year, it was Seattle-Bainbridge Island. Oh, I mean, sure. most ra- ridership, because that's all the... It's going to have commuters, commuters plus, yeah. plus cars. Yuppies. Last year, Edmonds-Kingston tossed, uh, topped it for the first time. Boom! There we go. Edmonds-Kingston. You know, Ken grew up in Edmonds, and I, when I was born, we lived in Kingston. So that's our home ferry. That's the ferry that where we first met. We, we were doing one of the jigsaw puzzles. No, we were not. Oh, we here's he just sent us the PDFs of the annual reports for the whole system. This, oh, I love this. I could definitely spend hours doing this, <laughs> but I won't do it live. Reading on the, the air. Kingston or reading the uh, Washington Ferries annual report. 
Matthew is our correspondent from before who, um, I think he, uh, what, he manages a bar on the Winslow side, but also he sends his pigs to do his bidding, if I remember correctly. He mm-hmm. has an army of, of pigs. Will you send me that annual report? Not to sound too much like a nerd, but I would like to read it. Let me send you the link live right here so okay. I don't forget. This is amazing addenda co- uh, uh, content that people are getting. Me sending you the PDFs for, let's see how much. Whatever whatever other podcast you listen to, Future Leans, of- if, uh, if, if it doesn't have the hosts getting excited about the annual report of a ferry system, you know it's not nerdy enough. If it doesn't have 19 <laughs> years worth of ferry ridership statistics at any point, what are you even doing with your time? I only wish it went back 50 years. We also heard, and this was really interesting, from a listener named Jay, the initial, whose uncle worked on the Kalakala. Oh, no kidding. And he sent his uncle the show, and his uncle said, this is a very interesting trip down memory lane. This is an actual uh, ferry worker. Hooray. They should have spent more time on, that's the classic podcast response. You screwed up. On the loading, on the puzzle of loading cars without tipping, because there was a specific way you had to Tetris in the cars... Oh, so right. that it would stay leveled during the process. Or the Queen's Victoria visit, I presume not Queen Victoria, but the Queen Elizabeth's visit to Victoria, B.C., when all passengers rushed to the port side and almost tipped over the ferry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they still have a very elaborate system for loading and unloading the ferry boats, as you know, Ken. Whether, yeah, who knows whether you're going to go up a ramp or to get to, I never, I always go up a ramp. I never get the middle section. I love to go up the ramp, but I often get the middle section because I drive a big truck. That's who gets the middle section. Yeah, they put me in the middle, but with the ambulances and the, and the cement trucks. But, um. That's all the evil carbon footprint people down there. It's what, you know what? We are what make commerce happen on the islands. There would be no groceries on Orcas if not for you and your people. I mean, they definitely make cement in Kitsap County, but how are you going to get it to Vashon? Uh, but yeah, the, the, is, is there a specific order that involves balancing? Yeah. The, yeah. They, they, they load from the inside out and they load from the bottom to the top, top to the bottom. They're going to rock them, uh, while they still got them. I've definitely had a flight attendant tell me I could not change seats because of, uh, weight balance yeah. stuff, but the, but the, which is really a way of telling ferries, me I need to lose 10 pounds. Like, like the super fairies. I, I had a helicopter ride one time where the guy was like, sorry, you can't sit in the front seat. You're too big. I was like, no, fair, lame. But uh, but I feel like the modern fairies, the super 130s or whatever, they're way too stable to really tip. I can't imagine. But the Kalakala, not stable. He, uh, he also told his nephew a story about a swell he saw coming that broke 13 of those big windows. Whoa. Um, he was in charge of medical care on that particular voyage, but there were only minor injuries. He saw the tug sinking that he said you mentioned. I don't remember this part. Whoa. He, he told, saw it. This is the temp, this is the, um, the tantalizing part where we don't get the full story. He told me before about refusing to enforce a racist fare policy, but I don't quite remember the details. <laughs> that sounds like the story we want to hear. Yeah, that's some Seattle history. He also uh, plays in a rockabilly band named for him, is a fan of Jeopardy, and put so many cement trolls on a bridge near his house that it appears on county maps. This guy sounds amazing. He sounds fun. I mean, any person of a certain age will watch Jeopardy, but how many of those contemporaries will put cement trolls on there. So many bridge. that it's visible from, from outer space. <laughs> exactly, that the county knows about it. <laughs> Thank you for those first 10 stories, Jay. And if you ever want to um, find out more about the racist fair policy aboard the Kalakala, <laughs> we are listening. 
Entry 1177.JB2414. Certificate number 23582. The Smiley Face Killers. This was your true crime show about... The Smiley Face Killers. Or, if they exist. Right. Or about men who just wander into freezing bodies of water. Someone... Shortly after recording their debut <laughs> LP, Grace. Somebody I know in person, I went to lunch with a group of friends. We call ourselves the Young Dads. Uh, we're all over the it's age of 50. But, uh, but one of them revealed that he listened to Omnibus by saying... About the smiley face killers. And I was like, oh, really, Omnibus listener? And he was like, well, harumph, harumph, harumph. I don't actually like you, but. It's true that you never want to, when you tell somebody about something you heard on a podcast, you always pretend you didn't, right? You're always like, yeah. you know, I was, ta- I was talking to someone lately. I was on a bus. And you know what came up? The smiley face killers. So if anybody ever says that to you, listeners, you should ask, immediately ask, did someone actually say that to you or was it something you heard on a podcast? Yeah. Those are two different things. Uh a listener named Tsetsi sent me a link to, uh, and maybe you saw this because I, I had seen this, a new British study that came out in December as kind of a public service warning in advance of the holidays to be responsible during Christmas revelry. Uh, the University of Portsmouth did a survey of the data and found uh, that the winter months from December to February are a high-risk period for party-going males. The university has a center for the study of missing persons. They analyzed 96 Fatal disappearances of men who were last seen socializing on a night, night out. The Each st- one gets one single tear. The story is called The Men Missing on a Night Out Study, <laughs> as you would imagine. Uh-huh. They all fell into ponds. Fully a fifth of them happen in December. So right. the Christmas season is the most fatal time to fall into ponds. And that really is what happens. 89% of the, uh, of the fatalities are people who were later discovered in water, in canals, rivers, lakes, or harbors. So Britain has not yet invented a mythology around yes. this. But They, they don't are, have retired detectives from NYPD. They, they, yeah, there's no re- retired Scotland Yard. They all went to the country and, and uh, are beekeeping in Sussex. Oh, you know what it is? No one in the UK ever draws a smiley face. That's true. Yeah, they have zero uh, think, smiley face. Don't you think the Happy Mondays did at some point? Don't you think some oh. of the? Don't you think there's some Manchester types? Yeah, that but are, they had a bullet hole. It was a smiley face with a with a bullet hole. They should have the bullet hole smiley face killer. No, they're just being very uh, dull and responsible about it. We are always seeing lists of do's and don'ts at this time of year," said researcher Jeff Newis. Jeff spelled in the uh, entertaining British way. Don't chat up or insult the boss. That kind of thing. Are yeah. we? Are we really seeing those lists? Don't chat up the boss. Is this a famous British holiday? <laughs> Don't insult the boss. First, you make a Christmas pudding, <laughs> and then you read a listicle about not chatting up the boss. Don't get drunk and fall into a pond. Making a fool of yourself at the office party is one thing, but I would say the most important thing to make is to make sure you get home safely. Hmm. Good advice, Dr. Yeah, Newis. E- except uh, if you're a coworker who's like, oh, God, die in a pond. Uh, in 60% of the cases, the men were missing longer for one week before they turned up again. That's water involved. Right. In the majority of cases, it was alcohol, but in some cases, taking drugs as well. So it's exactly what you would expect of a merry, of God, God resting merry gentlemen, specifically God resting them in a river, pond, lake, or harbor. It seems not a meth drug type of thing to fall into a pond. It seems more of a no, more of a downer drug. Meth, thing. you start digging a pond. Yeah, right. Matthew, like, run across the pond and don't fall in. 
Entry 744.LK1214 Certificate number 22481 The Ma Bell Breakup I bet we had a lot of listeners that had first-hand experience of the Maude Bell breakup, didn't we? We've done four of your shows in a row here, and this but they're is all the, talking to you. But this is the only time somebody was annoyed and wanted to correct you. Oh, everyone boy. else was delighted with your work. Here we go. Your delight to disgust ratio is three to one at so, the moment. But this person's like, I used to work for Ma Bell in the '60s, and let me tell you, there was one factual error that two different people flagged. I believe you said that it was Bell South that later acquired AT and T. Yeah. In fact, it was the former Southwestern Bell, a, a wholly distinct corporate entity that acquired AT&T. Oh, it was Southwestern Bell, and I said it was Bell South? Yes. Oh, dear. SBC Communications was the former Southwestern oh, Bell. Oh, my, my bad. I apologize to everyone. I told Scotty, luckily we do a monthly addenda show for, well, usually corrections more interesting or substantive than this one, but sure, this one too. And Scotty says, I knew I was going to regret being that guy. He did indeed say, I hate to be that guy. But as we've said before on the show, no, 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 no. no one who has ever said that actually hates to be No, that no, guy. be that guy. In this case... Embrace your that guy hood, Scotty. In this case, it's, I think, purely an example of how I don't actually consult my notes when we do the show. I thought I had it. Uh, I thought I understood it. But of course, Southwestern Bell and Bell South, I got it garbled and I, and I should have looked more closely at the things I wrote down. You a culpa, because I John. know I know I know I wrote it down correctly. I just didn't then look at what I'd written down. At one per, at one point during that show, I uh, mentioned a mm, <laughs> very old children's poem about an elephant trying to place a telephone call. Mm-hmm. You thought I was having a stroke. Mm-hmm. You had never heard of such a thing. Mm-hmm. I invited the listeners to let us know. Uh, nobody particularly cared to. One person said they had, and one person said they had. So, who can really say? But in looking up the poem to make sure I wasn't hallucinating this, it's called Ella Telephony, and it's written by Laura Elizabeth Howe Richards, who I was delighted to find is the daughter of Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Well. So her mom wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, but the best she could do was a forgettable poem about an elephant trying to use the telephone. It uh, it definitely is a sign of, uh, like, Genetic decay over time in generations. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Your mom wrote about, well, I guess, I mean, an elephant could stamp out vineyards where the grapes of wrath are stored. Sure. Elephants do stamp things out. Thine eyes saw some glory. Elephants right? do have eyes, uh, but nothing about an elephant trying to place a phone call. Entry 928.IS0117. Certificate number 24126. The Phantom of New Guinea. This was a, a pulp character and comic strip character who became unaccountably popular in the jungle highlands of New Guinea. Uh, we also we talked about things that had become unaccountably popular overseas. You know, certain bands or TV shows that were randomly well liked in one place but not in their hometown. Right. Why the hell are the fastbacks big in Japan? I mean, I know why. They're great, but... A prophet is without honor in his own country, John. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bryant wrote in about an unusual one, which is the... There was a recent article in The Atlantic about how the Chinese love Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver to excess, if that's possible, hmm. when it comes to a John Denver tune. Uh, that's not the song that they play at closing time in the bars, is it? In China? There's a, there's a song that... 
some that inexplicably it became, oh, I read about it also in the New Yorker. It's a song by Kenny G that became like the, I guess, universal song played in China to indicate it's time to go home. And every every place where it has a closing time, they play this Kenny G song. Is it just that song. one Kenny G song? Is it yeah. brr, brr, brr? Oh, yeah, it's just Careless Whisper. What it's is that one, one Kenny G song? That apparently, I, I, don't, I don't celebrate his entire catalog. Uh, it's just a song that like has become a, almost a Pavlovian trigger in China. You hear this Kenny G song and it's like, oh, time to pack up. There's definitely a Studio Ghibli movie I knew where the Japanese school kids write their own urban lyrics to Take Me Home Country Roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess that's how I knew the song. But apparently it's got, a, it's got a whole concrete roads, I think. But it's got a whole Chinese thing going. Um, there's the, the Radio Lab show on this suggests that maybe it was surplus John Denver cassettes. America apparently had a surplus of John Denver cassettes. I see. I could see that. Which were recycled only to, which led them to their discovery across the world, I guess. China was getting a lot of our surplus cassettes at the time. You're too young to remember John Denver in his in his I am peaks. certainly not. Oh, really? I have two John Denver loving parents who saw him oh, live on multiple tours. Of course they did. Your parents are so John Denver. It was exactly right up the, the kind of non-threatening <laughs> country pop. Yeah. That uh, that you know recovering. 60s music heads would be into in 1976 or 1981. Yeah, 1977 I think of as as John Denver, Denver. just everywhere and I was 9 years old so it was it was uh, you know you're really soaking in it and my mom hated him. Oh, interesting. And so Well, what about him? She hates Napoleon and John Denver. Yeah, she you know, she grew up in northern Ohio and she doesn't like what she describes as hillbilly culture. And so anything that had... You said your mom hated Elvis, so this even goes for John Denver cosplaying as a mountaineer? Absolutely. Like, any kind of thing that she could attribute to Hillbilly, which I think she puts all country music and all Southern culture on the skids, everything that that has any smack of the, of the Confederacy... Uh, even though John Denver's kind of blandly folking it oh, up for, so, AM, for AM radio stations... To, to your mom, that's worse. It's she, enough. He's 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 sneaking hillbilly holler culture under uh, over that's the right. transom. That's right. He's a reb in her estimation because they they were such they were such unionists. You know that that part of northern Ohio. So so. I mean, her great. Wait a minute. Her great grandfather fought in the Civil War for the Ohio. Uh, you know, whatever. Keep in mind that John Denver uh, was born infantry. in New Mexico. Oh, I know, but I think she would in, she would include New Mexico <laughs> in, in, in the Confederacy. He's born in Roswell, which explains those oh, big round eyes he has. Sure. You think those are the frames, but no, he's. Uh, let's see. He was born in forty three. What year is the alien crash? Forty seven. Forty eight. Right. Forty. Yeah. 40. So he was a child when they began experimenting wow, on him. How cool! I guess the reason for the. Uh, the reason Anything for the ch- south of the Ohio River, I think she's very suspicious of. China's fascination, I guess, is apparently just the accident of Deng Xiaoping seeing him at a cultural summit and thinking, this is exactly the kind of inoffensive pap that will not lead good Chinese citizens screaming to the West. So you're saying John Denver is compatible with Marxism? <laughs> John Denver is extremely compatible 
with Marxism. And so he was, he was one of the few Western artists that could be played on the Chinese radio. Oh, I see. Um, and so, you know, for take me on country roads is like stairway for a budding Japanese, a budding Chinese guitarist. How cool. Um, you, you learning to translate the lyrics is a common exercise for English class and so forth. What do they, how do they translate mountain mama? <laughs> Uh, when I, when we moved overseas to Korea and their ladies, I now in hindsight realized that John Denver was disproportionately popular in South Korea in the eighties as well. You could always find his whole oeuvre. The bowl haircut definitely like I, so I didn't resonates. Want, I didn't want to say that, but of all the white country artists you can think of who has a, a bowl cut and round glasses. <laughs> oh my God. Like I really do wonder if sure. if if he is somehow the most Asian feeling. Yeah, he's of, the blonde uh, version of someone in the Revolutionary Guard. A, a lot of uh, in Korea, at least at the time, a lot of vinyl could be pressed really cheap. So you could go buy a you go buy an ABBA record for a thousand won for you know for a buck twenty. Yeah, in the early eighties, which was not true at back home. So no, but by the late eighties, you could buy an ABBA record for a buck twenty <laughs> at any record store. So we stocked up, man. Oh, like yeah. uh, I've got plenty of my parents still have plenty of John Denver records in with, their with, original with, Korean pressings. Oh, how cool! Uh, I don't know if that's cool. Eventually, that will be cool. Is there a, is there a secondary market for a John Denver Placido Domingo duet uh, with the original uh, Kyobo bookstore? Packaging. This is 100% an eBay question, and we could go on there and go down the rabbit hole. We also had a note from Elaine. I guess at some point during the, during the outro of that show, I think we had just received a complaint about um, people's very visceral reaction to some kind of humming or whining in the show's outro music. Oh yeah, that's right. Do you remember? That's this? right. So this is a this is a very show within a show within a show complaint because she's referring to a complaint about a different show in a show. But in her defense, I did solicit feedback on oh, yeah, yeah, on right. what people think about the outro music. And what does she think? She was the only person who responded. Nobody else said, I love it, do everything the same. She said, um, I really like the omnibus, but I immediately, from the beginning, wanted to stop listening near the end of the episode because of the hair-raising sounds that were played in the background during the outro. She literally got a fingernails on the chalkboard kind of feeling. Which I get anytime I listen to any portion of the show. I get that for any podcast or, or talk radio or any two people talking where I can't interject. She suggests, well, first of all, she suggests that we get rid of the high-pitched sounds in the outro. Okay. Should, a, should we actually do this? She's a Patreon subscriber. Okay. This is, really, this is a kind of an I pay your salary kind of a, she's listening right kind now. Of a demand. Elaine. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Elaine. I, I don't want to, she's not some kind of a Karen. We we solicited this feedback. We did, and I'm, I'm curious about it. She suggests also um, the workaround that she uses, which is to only listen to the show on devices that have such low audio qual- uh, quality that the high frequencies don't get through. Right. You could put a, you could put a low pass filter on. Right. So. But then you're only going to hear my voice. You'll lose hello. all <laughs> It was all of Ken's. Look for the record with me on the cover. <laughs> kick you in the head. Uh, kick you in the head. Ah. Uh, well, why don't we ask uh, our editor and third Beatle, Mark Miles, to see if there's not a, uh, a solution to this. At this point, we want people to write in insisting that the, the creepy theremin-like sound of the outro is the only thing that keeps them listening. Hmm. As, a, as a highly sensitive person... An HCP. I feel like... HSP. 
I should go it's a, as as lumpy space princess. I feel like I should advocate on behalf of uh, of people that are bothered by this. But you don't advocate for the people that don't like your smacking noises. We do hear from people who don't like your uh, mouth noises. Really? We do. I don't forward you them. They don't like my mouth. What? How are my mouth noises different from other people's mouth noises? Especially mine. They're, you make a lot of mouth noises. You think we would be making the same amount of mouth noises, but you get all the complaints. I think that I am a little phlegmy in little, general because I'm a, a phlegmatic. I'm a phlegmatic personality. Uh, but also, yeah, it's something in my it's something in my voice. You hear it when I imitate my father. And I, it ends up talking, sounding a little bit like this. It's just a, it's a mouth noise issue. I think we need to produce two different versions of the show. One with the theremin stuff in the outro and one without. You, oh, and if you want the one without, you have to pay $5? Or I guess if we do with or without your smacking noises, too, if we put a, a smack pass filter on the show, then we need four versions for people who like the noise, hate the theremin, like right. the noise, like the theremin, hate the noise, like the theremin, hate the noise, hate the theremin. This starts to be a Mendelian genetics issue. Right. This, and it's exponential. If yeah, we get right. four different complaints, we got to do 16 shows. It's It's... Just going to get out of hand. Yeah. What if you like the mouth noises, hate the theremin, and don't want to hear Ken's voice? In the future, of course, you know, everyone can just uh, adjust um, the angle of which their cilia are pointed or whatever. You could do that now by just putting any kind of, of audio program on, on top of your pod blaster. Or by just toughening up, buttercup. <laughs> Entry 145.1T0515. Certificate number 38501. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. As you can imagine, lots of lots of listener mail after we did a show about <laughs> fantasy role-playing games. Hello, futurelings. All the people that did not care about Maoist uh, uh, blast furnaces really had some anecdotes about Dungeons and Dragons. Especially because our listeners probably trend between 30 and 50. Yes. But, uh, and, and they're still playing. Yeah, right. Incidentally, I should say, I have a friend who really wants to learn Dungeons and Dragons, and she doesn't know how to get into an online Dungeons and Dragons game. I learned the other day that she watches people play Dungeons and Dragons. She's hoping for a pickup game? She just hangs out at the court? Well, she goes to YouTube or somewhere, I guess, yeah. watches live streaming D&D, which that A, I didn't a know was true, and B, was horrified to find that I knew someone that was doing this. But she was like, I want to play. And she said, can you hook me up with your D&D friends and get me into a game? And I said, I in all of my relationships, try to minimize the amount of time we talk about D&D. It's the first question you ask when you meet a new person. I know. Will you ever talk about Dungeons and Dragons? I know so many people that play role-playing games, and I, and I make sure that we always avoid talking about it. You put a low-pass filter over there. But I'm going to throw this out there to futurelings. If any of you have a great D&D game that... You're willing to accept a newcomer, a new Zoom comer, a new Zoom comer who's never have to be virtual. Really played it, but is very interested and very you know ready to put to throw her hat into the ring and, and uses female pronouns. This is gonna this is gonna send a lot of people's D and D tables into a into a frenzy. But she definitely wants to like you know be part of a campaign. If you have a game that sounds cool and you're not a weirdo. 
You want, uh, well, I mean, guaranteed you know, you're a weirdo. Do you know you're a weirdo <laughs> if, you're, if you're a weirdo? It's the Dunning-Kruger effect again. First like, ask 10 people if you're a weirdo. You know for sure you're not a weirdo. Um, yeah, send me a link to the game and I will, uh, I'll let my friend choose her, uh, choose her own adventure. Well, we did hear from a couple of people who are running their own campaigns who want us to be part of it in various ways. Oh, well, there you go. Rob would like us to name something in their world. A fantasy-sounding lake or river or a road, his only request, and this must be more directed at me, is that it cannot be a pun in any way. Oh, dear. Would you like to invent a name for a geographical feature in Rob's campaign, John Roder? Uh Yes. Let's call it the Schmagegli. The Schmagegli? The Schmagegli. But what if his, what if his campaign is not Yiddish... Uh, comedians of the 40s themed <laughs> i feel like there should be a lake or a mountain called schmagegli and you know and and uh maybe the whole region should be called um the catskills because <laughs> typically <laughs> fantasy names are, are are melodious or mellifluent what is less people mo- are looking is, for a lot of letter v's for example what's more melodious than schmagegli all right you are locked in john is not budging rob you must name Hopefully a little visited geographical feature in your world. Schmagegli? Yeah, Schmagegli. Would, would you like to spell that for Rob? Uh, you know, that's part of the the fun of, um, you know, and I think it might be, I think the actual Yiddish might be Schmagegi, but I'm saying Schmagegli. And it, it means, um, it means like baloney. It means like, uh, like uh, stuff and nonsense. We also heard from MJ, who has um, really an astoundingly accomplished sounding uh, Johns Hopkins footer on his email. Is this is he or she uh, actually Michael Jackson, the uh, ghost I, of? I don't believe so. Do you believe that Michael Jackson's ghost is currently a, a highly placed public health professional? <laughs> I, I do, actually. <laughs> Uh, you're he's, not gonna. He's, he's doing right. What once went wrong in his in his first life. But you're not gonna say the the title of this person, even though it's right there in their email. Well, I don't know if I. I don't know if MJ would like to be outed. I mean, some oh. people specifically say, if you put me on the agenda, don't say my name. Right. And uh, we never do last names. But uh, MJ apparently enjoys fantasy role playing and would like to start an omnibus themed D and D campaign oh. taking place in a post apocalyptic world of futurelings. The premise of the show would be what happens when all that survives from our world is the omnibus. So the only things filtering through from our civilization into his campaign would be things that have been subjects of the show. So this is like the Kingdom of Ooh, where it's a Dungeons and Dragons universe except post-apocalyptic rather than prehistoric. Yes, and you know how in Dungeons and Dragons and in other kinds of fantasy, you know, things from the past are treated as myths and religion and uh, and so forth. So here our current world would be the myths and religion of the characters in his campaign. Right. Uh, and uh, his first session is planned for, well, this will come out later this month. His first session will beginning be beginning in January. Uh, I asked him to keep us in the loop on how it goes. Their first two games in January, he's going to be running one campaign for beginners and one for experienced players, one involving a moose and one involving a Sony Walkman. There we go. Well, maybe my friend can join this campaign. Is, is uh, she a big fan of Omnibus she, she Diana? Will, I doubt will, it. She will be furious <laughs> to learn that she's in a campaign based so, on Omnibus. So what if what if D&D, but it's, uh, if she's a close friend of yours, maybe this would be the dream for her to be playing a D&D <laughs> yeah. campaign in a John Roderick-themed uh, world. Yeah, what she wants is more John Roderick in her life. 
We got uh, a note from someone. I guess at one point, you, you know, we talked about the steam tunnels in which a lot of uh, a lot of D and D related imagined uh, uh, tragedy and terror took place. Did we ever do a show on the steam tunnels of Rochester, New York? Or is that just one of the thousand things that it feels like we did a show we, on? No, we have. We've talked about Rochester as a deeply weird place a few yes. times. But the steam tunnels. Steam of, tunnels? Well, the, the, uh, the abandoned subway system of Rochester, New York, which is so D&D, it's never come up that, on the show? That one might have come up when okay. we did the FDR train. Right, 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 right. Okay, that's right. That's right. Uh, a listener who does not want his name mentioned, so we'll have to call him... We'll call our informant a uh, uh, deep steam tunnel here. Mm-hmm. Deep steam tunnel. He wants to correct your misapprehension. You, I believe you must have said, perhaps in front, that there are no steam tunnels in Alaska. Okay. However, our nameless informant wants you to know that the University of Alaska Fairbanks does have a network of utilidors transporting steam from the power plant really? to all the campus buildings. So excess heat from the power plant that otherwise would have gone back, gone to waste is pumped through an underground network. Really? Into the buildings. And he actually sends us a link to drainfreak.com where they, you know. They explore the steam tunnels? Trespassing students have crowdsourced a, an incomplete map of some of these tunnels. Wow, mind blown. So now you know there are steam tunnels you can illicitly explore in your, your home state. The last there are frontier. so many things I owe Fairbanks an apology for. I don't even know where I would begin. But I guess I'm going to begin by apologizing for not knowing about the steam tunnels under UAF. I forwarded you this one already from a listener named Jack, who runs... Let's see, I'm trying to... What's the best way to summarize this? You know, a lifelong fan of role-playing games, who is still playing despite being roughly our age... He remembers friends' moms burning their books in the in the satanic panic. But I, like many kids of that generation, that only cemented his love for the sure. just like heavy metal. You sure. know, go ahead and burn my dungeon master's guide. If my mom and my youth pastor are both against my fiend folio, there must be something to it. I think I told you that my mom disposed of not one, not two, but three different anarchist cookbooks until I had to. Put a false cover on my on my fourth uh, fourth generation anarchist cookbook, so she couldn't find it. But he is actually his love for um, role playing gaming is such, and he really credits it with helping him with you know confidence and creativity and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He started a nonprofit named for the Sanskrit word for awakening, the Bodana Group, um, Based in York, Pennsylvania, so shout out to uh, the Bodana Group, I guess, mm-hmm. if this sounds like a worthy cause. Um, and it utilizes modern tabletop gaming for uh, social, as a social good, for promoting education, promoting therapy, like the therapeutic benefits of these kind of exercises, skill building. He says he's going to send us a little care package about their annual fundraiser, Save cool. Against Fear. Cool. If you are a believer in... Fantasy role-playing games and as, the Bodhisattva as the way to say, yeah and I mean we know that this is not a game the Buddha would play right no it is not and yet he has named his his he's given a Buddhist theming to his uh, nonprofit that's very Gen X <laughs> Jack only <laughs> believes in Buddha so insofar as he uh, uh, would play AD and D 
revised edition. Um, oh, he actually says that was quite a quandary for him because he uh, appreciates both. Oh, there we go. The benefits of Buddhism and the benefits of Dungeons and Dragons, but he's found a middle way. Good, good. Yeah. How do you reconcile the two hemispheres, the yin and the yang? So if you're interested in skill building or emotional healing via your uh, eighth level half elvish cleric, um, look into the Bodana group. He actually asked if uh, you and I would be interested in doing D&D conventions. And I didn't think that was a good fit for our skill set in so many ways. I mean, what would happen if you and I went to Dragon Con? Uh, I mean, you would be recognized everywhere, and I would. But not be... for any connection to Dungeons and no, Dragons. No, it's just that it's overlap. The Venn diagrams of people that play D anD D and people whose grandmothers watch Jeopardy are. I mean, that's a one to one ratio. In my, in my experience, if I went to something like that, I would be one one hundredth as popular. As someone who is not on TV, right, Hank but, Green. Who, but who wrote the first three um, Trail into Terror tie-in books, you know, uh, in, in, in 1986-87. But if we just went and set up a booth and put omnibus stuff, uh, you know, out and just sat at the booth, what would happen? It would be, you know, I've sat at, like, signing booths with Will Wheaton where the line just, where people, like, walk past me and, like, don't glare exactly, but like spit on the floor on their way to have Will sign their You're just an obstacle nipple. standing between them and their special Will Wheaton time. Yeah, and it would be the same with you. They'd be like, oh, hello, bearded bodyguard of Ken. That'd be so awful. It'd be fun, though. Go to Dragon Con. So it's decided we're going to go to Dragon Con. If you and I played D&D together, do you think that would be fun or would it be awful? I don't think I can do it. You can't... Uh, you can't suspend disbelief and get into the funny thing is I you know game. I could do community theater no problem if somebody out there wants me to do the Music Man Harold Hill mm-hmm. in the Music Man uh, you would you'd do it yeah if they had a, somebody sick I I I'm I'm ready to go in right now Coach wow is there a nicotine stain on your his index finger a dime novel hidden in the corn crib but. Yay! But for some reason, the idea of sitting around a table with my friends pretending we're encountering an ogre... Can you come to a giant wooden door? Unimaginably cringe. There are icicles all around the top of the door, and there's an elvish rune uh, that's only visible because you are carrying a candle. Do I have enough... Do we have a magic user in our party that can cast the end this hypothetical (laughs) spell? (laughs) Is that... That's what I I'm would gonna, do. I'm, I'm going to roll a six-sided die. Entry 038.JE1543. Certificate number 26351. The Armagosa Opera House. This was the show that, against all odds, was half about borax and then half about interpretive dance. See, there you go. Tune in to the omnibus. For hairpin <laughs> twists like that one. <laughs> It's like half the people listening are like, great, a show about borax. Then as soon as the borax ends, they're like, oh, I thought it would be more about the borax. Interpretive dance. And then half the listeners are like perking up. Wow, finally. I don't know if I've told the story before, but my wife and I once went to a Spanish movie, like some campus foreign film thing called The Grandfather. Mm-hmm. And we said, some old lady sat down right in front of us, townies, I assume. And the movie starts and it's just, you know, a dialogue scene in a house. And literally 90 seconds into it, one of the ladies turns to the other one and says in, like, the loudest old person voice, I thought this would be more about the grandfather. (laughs) Be patient, ma'am.
<laughs> there may yet be a grandfather. Anyway, Dave sent in a note on both the Borax half and the dancing half okay. of the episode. Uh, he, he says that we did not, in our lifetimes, we would have been around to use Borax in one of its most common applications. That's the main ingredient in that powdered hand soap that like oh, service station restrooms really? would have. I hated that stuff so much. <laughs> it was everywhere. It was in schools. Dave is from Olympia and says there's a hardware store near his house that actually still has the powdered hand soap in the restroom. Presumably they bought a crate of it back in 1968 and they, they're not out yet. It came in bales. Uh, and I guess, so yeah, it seems like it would be rough on your hands, right? It was rough on your hands. Do you remember it? I do. Yeah. Uh, and it's awful. Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was very common. Did you say schools had it? Yeah. That's yeah. awful. Kids. Schools, colleges. Kids have delic- delicate little skin. But it was before, I, it's crazy to think about now, but there wasn't liquid soap. It did not exist in the world for the first half of my life. And today, you know, the young people have embraced the idea that soap should be a liquid. Whereas, I know, it's crazy. You, whereas you and I knew correctly that it should be a cake about the size of a hamburger patty. Yeah, made of lye. Uh, you, a small <laughs> cake that you rub all over your body. Surely that's the best way to get soap. I still can't get used to liquid soap half the time. I'm like, where's the soap? Oh, it's in this spray bottle? Why is it not a, a small rectangle in a yeah. dish getting slimy on yeah, the bottom? Yeah, slimy little... Bo- little Hard like- on the top, slimy on the bottom. That's what my body craves. <laughs> Thank you. And then, uh, whoops! I mean, how? What do you? It, it, what? What do they say in prison now? Like, oh, don't, don't. I'm sure they don't say anything. Pump John. the the soap. That's a that's a very old reference. Yeah. Uh, Dave has also been to the Amargosa Opera House a couple times. <gasps> oh, hey, Dave! By the time he went there, Marta was not dancing. You know, she it was very infrequent that she would actually dance herself. But he did catch a glimpse of her once and really enjoyed the inside of the theater. Um, he does say firsthand something we did not mention on the show, but which you love to discuss, which is that he immediately thought the place felt haunted. Okay. So, and you, you said you've been, right? No, oh. no, I haven't, but I believe that you, whole region is haunted. You do believe in and love ghosts. You believe the whole region is haunted. Yeah, by How UFOs. How far does that go? Well, yeah, John Denver. Yeah, but, John Denver is the living evidence. By UFOs and ancient aliens Southwest, and... Uh, the ghosts of the Anasazi. Well, and yeah, every single... Which were giants. Every single Native American that ventured down into the valley and then died of heat stroke. Which must have been in the hundreds or thousands. No, they would know. They would know instinctively. They were in touch with the land, and they were like, hey, we're not going into that valley. It literally says death on the signs, which have not been built yet. There's always some teenager, no matter what your race or culture, who thinks he knows better and is like, I'm going to make it across the desert. That is kind of a a trope of white art about Native Americans, right? That all the tribes all know. No, 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 no. But all the tribes have some young kid who's a dingus like the chief's son is like whatever i'm gonna go throw tomahawks at jamestown peace (laughs) and i guess that's in order to keep the rest of the tribe is looking enlightened but still getting you to the indian battle that that white audiences crave right but that's true i mean if if uh if my tribe which is to say white anglo-saxon protestants uh did did art about themselves there would be i mean basically every teen movie is about what ding-dongs we are you're saying there's douchey (laughs) teens in white anglo-saxon america i'm afraid so ken i don't believe any of this entry 191.pr2321 certificate number 13321 cask 263 boy i got a lot of 
uh, mail from whiskey, whiskey people. drinkers who were, who were all extremely drunk. Yeah. And we're drunk texting you. I knew this would happen because this is one of those like very specific things. It's a hobbyist's topic, and hobbyists hobbyist. love to share expertise. And also, all the hobbyists are beardos, <laughs> and beardos love to be uh, to be like, well, actually, well, then you will enjoy this. Um, even though some, you know, there were people on the Facebook saying like, I don't even know where to begin with harumph, the factual harumph, problems. Harumph. Why did he put an extra L in the word McAllen? But our friend, we, you did put an extra L in the word McAllen. Yeah. And there's it, no getting around that. No, it needed an extra L and I put it in there. <laughs> where did you borrow it from? Uh, well, word that had two L's, uh, Mitch McConnell's last name. I took an L off of my letter sweater. <laughs> Do you think Mitch McConnell will be okay with just one L? I don't care. I'm taking all the L's out of Mitch McConnell and see how he likes it. That guy's <laughs> taken enough. Bells, Mitch McConn. Uh, Matthew Spivey, who is actually the uh, the correspondent who told us about the ridership numbers of the Washington Ferry System, right? sent us another email to say that for non-drinkers, y'all had essentially no meaningful mistakes throughout. For non-drinkers, we had no meaningful mistakes. Oh, that's nice. I like how he has a different scale for how non-drinkers would, uh, well, would approach yeah, the right. topic. Well, yeah, right. If we were drinkers, he'd be like, no, no, no. But for a couple of rubes. But he also says, though I'm certain some others don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Which means I did spot some mistakes, but I'm I'm too much of a gentleman yeah. to, to point them out. Well, but I think a lot of it is uh, the non-drinker like caveat is taking into account that we don't care. <laughs> like none of the things in that episode do we like person it did not make our mouths water. Well, there's a degree of drinking beyond which you would care even less than us. I mean, there's a de- there's a there's a uh, an uncanny valley yeah. where you drink enough to be annoyed at us yes. and not drink enough to to, to be blissfully <laughs> to, to be un- like, unconcerned with it. When I drank whiskey, I drank 10 high whiskey out of a 2 liter plastic bottle. So I'm... You're an expert. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Matthew also sent us a link to uh, a story about the Bacardi uh, rum distillery in Puerto Rico, which runs 24 hours a day. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I don't find that hard to believe. I wonder if it's run continuously for, for centuries. Presumably it would, right? Like the Like Bacardi bought his first distillery in Cuba in the 1860s, so... Some of these places have got to be old. People have been drinking a lot more Bacardi since the 80s. I bet you in 1960, they sold a fine amount of Bacardi, but not the fire hose of Bacardi that characterizes the present world. There was a time when they were selling a ton of it to pirates. And then there was a long gap, and then they started selling it to yuppies. But a lot of those people, the pirates, were drinking Myers rum. I don't know what brand. <laughs> or Captain they, Morgan's Spiced Come rum. aboard and take the Captain Morgan's Challenge, <laughs> matey. Be a landlubber. I loved Myers rum. It's very delicious. I did not like Bacardi because it seemed like a sorority girl drink. You should Maybe you should not be describing different liquors as delicious on on this, uh, you know, aren't all your podcasts kind of about recovery? <laughs> well, you I shouldn't mean, be encouraging people to drink the most delicious rums that you remember. Somebody, somebody on my uh, Patreon yelled at me the other day because I talked about how in 27 years of recovery, I still think about what I still think about, well, maybe one day I'll go off the wagon and just go on a wild weekend. And they were like, don't talk about that. 
I was you like, should, well, I mean, what can I say? It's part of being in recovery. That's the kind of thing you think but don't say if you're a if you're a repressed white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Well, you know, it's one of the things you, you you should be honest. Once you get sober, it's not like you. It's not like it's a sure thing. You're always going to have to confront the fact that people are drinking all around you. I'm reading this this HuffPost story about the Bacardi Distillery, and apparently, it descended from a drink called Tafia, which was described in the 17th century as a hot, vile liquor called Kill Devil. Kill Devil. It's so potent yeah. that it would literally kill the devil. Wow. Who in this scenario is not dead. That seems despite like despite the fact that he's in hell. They're talking about 151 and not like whatever 80 proof rum it is that you should be drinking. We have two notes about weird hipster beers, which I guess we much have we must have mentioned on the show. Uh, Matthew points out that um Port Townsend every year has a, a festival of bizarre beers. Hard not to believe. He has been there, and I, I can't even. This is I can't. I don't even want to read this. Your parents live in Squim, right? So you have to drive nearby through Port Townsend just to get there. You can bypass Port Townsend. I guess you can yeah. if you don't want to go antiquing. Uh, in the past, he has drunk at this festival fa beer, complete with noodles. Gross beer that has been gelatinized gross. into noodle form. Terrible. That is correct. I am grossed out. Chicken and waffles beer. No. No. Hot dog water beer oh. and Cool Ranch Dorito beer. No, no, no. No, no, no. Agreed 100%. We also heard from Dave, David. Is that how he pronounces it? <laughs> I, just, I just realized <laughs> that I don't know if it's Dave or David uh, who uh, his theory is that I think maybe we were talking about why the water matters to make good beer. Oh, yeah. He says that in most cases it's because it's a chicken or the egg thing where the beer profile was built around the water profile. Like depending on what minerals were found in the water. Oh, I see. Over centuries, that locality, whether it's in the Czech Republic or Ireland, to name two places where people drink a ton of beer, uh, would be built to optimize the taste that's perfect for that water. So they would spend centuries perfecting the right beer for that water. And he 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 gives copious examples. For example, oh, yeah, please. For example, a water that's high in sulfate from gypsum, you would have to make a bitter hoppy beer that would accentuate the minerality and crispness of the water. I don't know if I believe. Any of this. So it accentuates the positive? <laughs> the positive pH, I guess, uh-huh. in this case. Um, and that explains why the water affects the beer, just because the beer was built around the flavor profile I get it. of the water. We also heard from Chris, uh, you know, we mentioned, speaking of kind of craft beer nerds, we mentioned Will Wheaton as an example. Yes. And Chris tells us that's a mistake Will actually has been pub- very public about his uh, recovery. Uh, he uh, five years ago it would have been correct to talk about Will Wheaton's love of uh, a particular hoppy IPA or weird craft beer, but now he's been sober for five years and recently blogged about such, and so he's on board the omnibus huh. teetotaling train this is a this is a, a problem because for five years you've been I, sending him Bacardi well, no the, not every Christmas the first five years I knew will he was always having events at this kooky brewery in San Diego up in the hills that he knew the owners 
and he talked about craft beer and was all about it, but I don't read Will's blog. And somewhere along the line, he got sober and I don't know if it's come up in conversation and I don't watch what people drink. So I missed the boat on Will's sobriety and I'm surprised that we haven't talked about it. Well, I do feel bad that we um, implied that a recovering alcoholic was uh, an eager hobbyist, but unless that's a compliment to someone to Hmm. assume this guy is so cool, Hmm. I assume that he knows a ton about craft beer. And, I just uh, feel dumb that he is a friend and we see each other and it ha- it either never came up or it did come up and I just didn't change my three by five card to reflect it. You were like, this part of the conversation is not about me. So I'll <laughs> tune in again in a second. I'm like Jenna from 30 Rock. <laughs> I'm on camera. Entry 514.pp0203. Certificate number 25968. Games Buddha wouldn't play. I think that's right. Is I believe that was the show that led to a kindly listener adopting a baby elephant mm. on our behalf. Right. Uh, and this is the part of the end of the show where we check in with no less than Essowit. Let's find out what's going on with Essowit, that little scamp. Our beloved baby elephant. There's some. There's a picture of some warthogs here. I don't, apparently, there's warthogs that hang out with uh, mm-hmm. with the elephants. Yeah, they're the, all friends. At the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. Um, Essowit is friends with the whole nursery herd, especially with Tabu, another gentle bull. I don't know. Is this stuff we read last time or a not? A gentle bull. I don't know. I didn't know this. This is not how I was picturing Essowit's life, but apparently uh, he gets to socialize with rhinos. Yeah. Here we have some stories about oh, Essowit playing in the rain with Roho and Nabuishu, who's he's a friendly, playful bull. I'm glad we got one of the good ones. Yeah. He really you, seems you like... You wouldn't want like a distempered one. Yeah, what if we adopted... I mean, there are elephants there that are probably not great, but they can't tell people that. Like, oh, the one you adopted virtually <laughs> is kind of a... Yo-yo. It does feel like he's a bit of a mischievous elephant, right? He was having fun with Roho and Nabuishi wrestling in the mud. But look, Kinye, meanwhile, was sulking and was not enjoying the rain. Hmm. So if you if we'd adopted Kinye, boy, we boy would our faces be red right sulker. now. But I mean sulking is kind of cute. But the following day, Kinye and Essowit emerged from their stables and found Max in his bottom stackade. I think Maxwell must be a rhino. They walked over to his gate to greet him, but the rhino was not in a very social mood and didn't bother coming over to them. Hmm. Luckily, Kinye and Essowit were not terribly put out and began their own game, chasing each other around the stockade compound and wrestling. Then they caught up with the others who were already on their way to the forest. I think that's great. That's uh, nice. Even, and Kinye, we've seen, is maybe not the greatest of the elephants, but... Um, Essowit even plays fun games with her. I, I think he might be the best one. I feel like we might have got the best Good one. Good old Essowit. I, I watched a video the other day of a baby rhino and a, uh, an orphan um, zebra who had bonded with one another and were, were playful friends. Well, I mean, elephants and rhinos, they look more similar than most animals. I think what you want in those videos is a real odd couple scenario. You want yeah. a baby elephant who's friends with an emu or something. Right, or an owl. 
Or an owl. Yeah, so that would be our request, I think, to the Sheldrake Wildlife Trust. But I feel like, yeah, a rhino and an elephant could kind of handle the wrestling. Yeah, you don't want to wrestle an owl. But if you could put Essowit with any kind of comically mismatched animals, we Hmm. would love that. Like, maybe not one so big that he gets stepped on. What about a Komodo dragon? I just don't want him stomping out the vineyards where the Grapes of Wrath are stored. Sure, you know? sure, I, sure. I'd worry about a Komodo dragon getting underfoot, although it could bite. Mem- yeah, remember we don't when want that, that. Do you remember when that Komodo dragon bit uh, Sharon Stone's husband? Did yeah. we talk about that on the show? No, I don't think so. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that has ever happened. <laughs> More news like that, please, 2022. <laughs> and that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 26. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.